This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, December 2nd. I'm Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Notre Dame has not made an official announcement, nor do we expect one here today or Friday or exactly when. I know the Notre Dame coaches are recruiting, but Notre Dame has a new head football coach, and it is Marcus Freeman, much to the delight of the vast majority of Notre Dame fans, as far as we can tell. Certainly, much to the delight of the, the Nordic football team and, and, and the recruits. And I, and I think, you know, before uh, all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed, uh, Nordic's going to take care of business and that's recruiting. That, that's, that's extremely important at this time, but I don't think it's going to be too difficult for Marcus Freeman to be convincing uh, current players yeah. to come back if they have another year of eligibility and for the, the committed verbally committed players to, to, being all in on Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman. I mean, he's, yeah, he's just, uh, the guy is a dynamic, unique recruiter and communicator, Um, you know, and those two things go together and he has a understanding of how it is absolutely critical. Like he's naturally good at it and understands that that natural talent is a prerequisite to being great in college football today. So um, I don't, you know, there there will be a million things that happen along the way that he will be learning on the job, and we're all going to be watching it and picking it apart. But um, I think that the Notre Dame fan base right now, and I hope this trend continues, um, will enjoy watching him learn on the job opposed to nitpicking everything that happens. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd take it one step further with the roster. I think he will probably have a couple guys come back that might have left. That's not just retention. I mean, I'm talking guys that could leave. Like, let's, we all thought Isaiah Foskey's going to come back, right? If you, if you had to go make your guess, you say back. I would say hammer that back now. We'd say, is Jason Adamiola maybe going to come back? I doubt it. He had a really good year. How much can he get better? Now, yeah, now I think he might come back. Like, there's people like that, I think. Not the unrealistic ones like Kyle Hamilton, you know, but the people that were really on the fence, I think you would want to play for Marcus Freeman um, as long as financially it makes sense, which it doesn't for one player. It's... I would want to play for him after what's going on. He's going to have a great month of December. Win or lose, he's going to have an amazing next eight months, and then it gets all hard for the public to see. But until then, I think it's very refreshing for the Notre Dame fan base. And Pete, you kind of touched on it. Not everything is going to be a problem. When he loses one recruit, it's not like, well, Marcus Freeman's too lazy. That's why he lost the recruit. It's, <laughs> it's finally going to be, no. oh, why does that guy not want to come to Notre Dame? What a jerk. <laughs> no, it's it's true. Those kind of things will will accumulate, however, in a bowl game or a playoff game. And, 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 but until we get into full swing of things with a season, you're you're absolutely right. I, You know, I... I, I I covered the Jerry Faust era and I started with the Jerry Faust era and then Lou Holtz and Lou Holtz was, was obviously great and a hall of fame coach, but fans weren't always unified on him because they didn't like the way he used the tight end. They didn't like the, you know, I mean, the offense and too, too well, run oriented. Like right. Well. Exactly. No, exactly. And again, until we get into it, we won't know the full critique of, of Marcus Freeman, but this is this is as unified as a, a, a fan base as it's been certainly since Holson and, and I mean maybe even Parsegian. I was just a kid then, so I can't really judge that. But uh, you know, I don't I don't remember a whole lot of criticism of Era Parsegian back in the day. But this is just this is an incredible outpouring of of love and respect for for Marcus Freeman and, and what he can do. And I want to say 
this about players coming back. Um, and I, I agree with you, Tim, 100%. Somebody like a Jason Adam Alola, that's, you know, that, that this could certainly sway him in one direction or another. Now, Kyle Hamilton, will either mean, play, he'll either play one more game for Notre Dame or he, or, or he won't, uh, or, or two more games for Notre Dame if we're the playoffs or, or won't. I, I don't expect Kyron Williams to come back, but I'm <clears> telling you that this decision ha- has, tugged at the heartstrings of, of Kyron Williams. And I'm sure a lot of other players, he'll have to make a decision. It's in the best interest of his career, but that's just the kind of impact that this, this decision by Notre Dame and done in done in rapid fire uh, time, contrary to what we may have been led to believe on Tuesday. Um, it's just, man, this is a, this is the honeymoon of all time. The four horsemen lounge will never be at peace again, yeah, like is- it is today. It is an amazing place. My favorite post was from your old baseball teammate. Is it Dan Peltier? Uh, we weren't teammates. He was oh, okay. a star, he, he star wrote, well after I was my average crew. He, uh, he wrote, what is wrong with this board? So I clicked on it. He's like, not a positive <laughs> post in 90 seconds or something. It was like, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what is going on right now. This is an amazing, amazing time. I get, well, there'll be, some, there'll be some complaining Saturday night and Sunday. How's that? What, over the committee's uh decision yeah I, I would imagine that's possible man i i have not so looked forward to a, a a saturday of college football and just basking in it i'm thankful i am so thankful that Notre Dame basketball plays at six o'clock on friday i am so thankful for that it uh i mean it's amazing because it's like i think next saturday's college football slate last saturday i was like man i can't wait to watch that it's going to be awesome and then monday i was like what the hell? Like I, I've no, I've, I've just lost all appetite for it. And now like, we're back to like, man, that's going to be an awesome Saturday of college football. So it's been, man, it, it's just been a ridiculous week. Uh, and now, you know, everything is there for Notre Dame potentially to, to make the playoff if they get a couple breaks. But I think even if they don't, like, I think the Notre Dame fan base, if you put them in the Fiesta Bowl against Michigan state and Marcus Freeman's your head coach, I think they're traveling, man. Like <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Let's do it. It is. It is the only silver lining. If all these teams win that are that Notre Dame needs to lose on Saturday is people are still going to be fired up for that bowl game. And so will the players and so will everybody else. And ticket sales to the blue gold game are going to reach Colossian levels. And you're going to have fun stuff here until uh, <laughs> until we get into, you know, until Ohio State game plays. Then it gets a little harder for everybody involved. But yeah. Happens. Now, 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 OK, in, in addition to, to the great news, of course, is and, and I and I thought that. I, you know, the, the, the Tommy Reese staying at Notre Dame and, and it was a, it was a decision. Um, I would imagine Notre Dame came close to matching what, what LSU did, but probably a little, a little bit behind that, but that is so significant. That and Matt Bayless, Tim, I, you know, you, you were the first one to say that was the most important one. And, 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 and I would agree. I mean, I would put him and Reese at one and one a, the video of, of Matt Bayless, declaring to the the guys that he was working out with that he would die he would die there at at at, uh, at Notre Dame is is something that you know somebody my age and 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 those that put value in the head coach loving Notre Dame you know wanting to really be there and treating it more than just a job um you know that 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 stuff moves me and I know it moves a lot of the older Notre Dame football fans that grew up with that kind of thought in mind as it related to Notre Dame football and Notre Dame in general. Tommy Reese, Pete, thoughts on Tommy Reese? I, I think it was more critical than most Notre Dame fans know 
to getting to Marcus Freeman. I think I, it's my understanding that if Reese had left, I'm not sure Freeman would have been the lead candidate. Like that you had, that was the order they needed Reese and Freeman together. Um, That was Notre Dame's point of view on that. Uh, Freeman was all for it. uh, But I think Notre Dame's recruitment of Reese is significant. They stepped up to the plate financially big big time with that one i'm told like that it's it they i double, believe they double du- literally doubled his salary more than that um I, be- I believe that they not only matched lsu they exceeded lsu in terms of compensation that, so, then that would be more than doubling it yeah correct um so that that is that is massive because earlier in the week i mean my sources indicated that reese was was ready to go yep. to lsu um so to turn that around um, is is really significant. It's a it's a massive recruitment because it's like I mean we all Swarbrick loves continuity, right? You're going to have to pay for continuity here. You're going to have to invest in continuity, and they did. So it um, that's that's why you get all this good feeling. That's why you get players wanting to come back. That's why you're going to get recruits wanting to come in because you're you're taking the best parts of what Notre Dame already was, and I think in, in some ways accentuating them. And that's that's recent Freeman. You're almost at 100% continuity. That's the incredible thing. Like if, you know, you're paying for continuity if you just get Freeman. So then it's a little self-defeating if you're like, well, we have Freeman, but we're going to compromise our offensive machinery machinery that we have going for the last couple of years because we aren't going to follow. We're not going to pay for Reese. We're going to a new offensive coordinator for Reese. It'll just be Lance Taylor. We'll hire somebody else. And, oh, well, we lost Mike Elston, who 18 players would die for on the team. But we have Freeman. I think it's the fact that you have these all essential parts. Almost all essential parts are back. And that's continuity that I don't think any of us could have come close to projecting. If you said Tuesday during a podcast, how many of these seven, and we named the seven that are staying, right, that are already staying, will be back. None of us would say six. No, I, I, no, no, I, no, I mean, no. you would, you would I, get no. about five. I, 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 I mean, Brett, none, of the, none of the coaches that Notre Dame had to keep are available to, to Brian Kelly. Right, right. I mean, I, 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 Reese, Taylor, McNulty, Elston, Mickens, O'Leary. You know, I don't know that O'Leary was necessarily critical because he's a first-year coach, but you wanted the continuity, and, yeah. and certainly he's done a great job with with, with the backup uh, the backup safeties. Brian Polian's going to go to the Patriot League and get the head coaching job that he that he coveted. Well, maybe not that specific head coaching job, but he wants to be a head coach. Um, Jeff Quinn will presumably coach through the bowl game. Um, and that will be, that will be his last uh, game in Notre Dame. Dell Alexander. I, I, I think he will be replaced. I'm not saying that he won't. I think that there's some respect for him as a coach uh, within, within, uh, within the Goog. And then, you know, Nick Lazinski, who has received so much praise. Somebody said, well, do you want to hire a first year linebacker coach? Nick Lazinski is not a first-year linebacker coach. He's been Marcus coaching Freeman. the linebackers for how many years now? Marcus Freeman's there, though, too. Marcus Freeman's the linebacker. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Marcus Freeman may want to, you know, get a get a different linebacker coach, uh, and, and that's understandable. But everybody, to me, I mean, who, who am I missing? Everybody that Notre Dame had to have yeah, is I'll, back. I'll throw one out there, and I, and I think that she'll stay. I think Dr. Selke is important to retain for these players. Yeah. I mean, she's important. Like to have that role filled is important. I think that's going to take some things. You're going to have to flesh out some things there. Uh, That was all part of what, that was all part of what 
Brian Kelly was asking for in addition to, you know, the number that I was told in the $80 million renovation of, of the Goog, which is, which is going to happen. I don't know when that's going to happen, but that was lined up. And then the other part was the mental performance development. And, and that was placed on the same level as, as far as I could tell. So whether it's her or someone else, and I give her a ton of credit for what she's done. And she was, she was Brian Kelly's muse, uh, you know, the last couple of years, but uh, I think the key is that like with Jeff Quinn, sorry to interrupt him, but Jeff Quinn is here. I think it's more, I think it's very important that Jeff Quinn stay through the bowl game or playoff. That's continuity. The offensive line still needs Quinn. And Absolutely, the, and the team still needs Dr. Selking through December, and I I would be absolutely stunned if she were to leave the team in December because that's not part of Brian Kelly's recruiting process. If she's going to join Brian Kelly at LSU, I mean, I don't mean recruiting her. Like he doesn't need her to help with recruiting right, right now. now. No, so yeah, yes, stay with exactly. Notre Dame, no matter no matter what her future holds, I would assume she'd stay through December in the bowl. I mean, the playoff game. I keep misspeaking. Sorry. Uh, well, yeah. that's, uh, I mean, that's you know, and and this decision. It it had to be made, and that's why I I was confident at the time that Jack Swarbrick would make the decision because when you just started every quickly, I mean, when you just started adding everything up, you had to do it. You had to you had to make a move. There's the game has changed. There's too many moving parts. It's too important for you not to make that move. And and then when when there was absolute universal support. On, I, I mean, you know, the fans are one thing in the fans and the media. What what we think ultimately doesn't really matter. Nordane fans are going to be Nordane fans. And obviously, obviously, at least O'Malley and me, I think, are in, are in this Nordane. Uh, well, probably you too, Samson. I don't want to speak for you, but, you know, we're probably going to be doing this for the rest of our lives covering Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, maybe you hey, probably unless, have a few, unless unless Notre Dame moves, uh, you know, <laughs> or my wife gets a new job. So hey, I got to tell you though, give me a little bit of fairy dust, and I'm not sure. There's a uh, sprinkle a little 250 million dollar fairy dust, and you never know. Yeah. <laughs> Let me you know when look. that happens, and sprinkle yeah. a little my way when it does. Yeah, you, you might be yeah. looking the wrong way, Tim Treister. You should don't be looking west. Look south. Look at my shirt I'm wearing. Did you see the shirt Brian Kelly was wearing during that press conference? Was it per, what it was? It, perp, it, was, it was purple. purple. Doesn't it yeah. look weird on him? Yeah, <laughs> I no, think no, it looks weird the, on him during his last Notre Dame press conference. Oh, oh, the uh, Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning one, peace out one. I did not. Yeah. Now oh, that no. you say it, he is wearing. It's a screenshot from Twitter. I am positive it is from a Notre Dame press conference. Oh, oh, okay, I got one you. Of the game I thought... press conferences when you said it's, I don't think it's the one you asked him about leaving of his own volition. I think it's the next one. Oh, when he when he said when he said the two hundred fifty million. Yeah, yeah. when he says like misdirection. Right. Shirt. I thought you were telling me that he actually came in in a purple shirt on oh, no. Monday, and I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Can know you what, imagine? I didn't, I didn't look at his shirt. I hope not. I hope. <laughs> so. Well, that, I mean, when 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 uh, Jack Swarbrick referred to Freudian slips, was he? I mean, it may that may have been just like a, a personal conversation that he was referring to, but yeah. I think well, I mean, the Freudian slip that stuck out to me was when Brian Kelly used the term us on Tuesday morning while addressing Notre Dame's own team for three minutes and 45 seconds before walking out the door to get on the plane. Um, that was that was creative pronoun usage for sure. The one this is the one problem. There's two there's two things I don't really blame Kelly for. I mean, that I do because it was the worst speech ever. I mean, it was just a stumbling, stumbling awfully miserable speech right i command only well if you had any emotional connection to them it wouldn't be stumbling 
Like, but, I, right, right. Um, but it's really hard to go into a room when you've already completely screwed all those people over and explain to them why it's okay. So yeah. it wasn't like it was. Yeah, nobody's. Laugh. He said nobody's at fault. Nobody's to blame. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, it's like you're addressing your kids after a divorce or something. It was like. <laughs> no, exactly. No, there's nothing. I don't, I, I kind of don't blame him. I. It was maybe worse than I thought, but I would not have thought it would have gone well. Does that make sense? Yeah. It was fi- like it was. It was not good, but it was never going to be good. Right. It was not the the abject catastrophe that I thought it could have been. Yeah, because he can't. He can't. He couldn't connect with them genuinely. Yeah, he. Oh, I mean, he, he, he. Nobody's he, at fault. That's the best. Nobody's at fault. You know, that's a little misleading, Coach. What is that? <laughs> what <you just> told. <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh. But and again, and I, and and we're not going to spend a lot of time. And I yeah. knew I said this, we wrote this. As soon as Marcus Freeman is named as head coach, Brian Kelly becomes basically irrelevant. Now I know we're still going to talk about this and that. And I know a lot of fans are still going to stay pissed at him or whatever. I am thankful that he won 54 games in the last five years and has put Marcus Freeman in this program in a situation where it can just absolutely hit the ground running. You don't have to look backwards. You don't have to, you know, there's some restructuring of the staff. But come on, man. I mean, this is Brian Kelly set them up for a really, really good situation that Notre Dame can take full advantage of moving forward. Oh, yeah, I mean, he dragged he dragged Notre Dame forward into a modern era at a time when Notre Dame was resistant to that be, oh, that move, and that he gets a ton of credit for that. Um, so that that is very significant. Like Marcus Freeman would have been a terrible hire if he had not followed Brian Kelly. Like if there was if no, there was the equivalent true. of the equivalent of Marcus Freeman was out there in 2010, it would have been a terrible decision. But it's a right coach, right place, right time, um, and that part of the reason it's the right time is the 12 years that Brian Kelly spent here. And and let's face let's face it, this is the this is the truth. Jack Swarbrick dragged him out of the 2016 season and forced him to make changes that ultimately led to him winning 54 games yeah. in five years. He was the head coach and he orchestrated the 54 wins in five years, but Jack Swarbrick orchestrated the dragging out of uh, where they were in 2016, forcing the, the position changes on the coaching staff. And here we are. So thank you, Brian Kelly, and uh, have a good day because Notre Dame is done with them. And read my follow-up story on the Brian Kelly five takeaways era coming up on irishillustrated.com. Just put that out there. Please read it. It's one more story about Brian Kelly. You can do it. It's good. It's bad. It's crazy. <laughs> weird. <laughs> I put some work into it when I was not awake last night for some reason at three in the morning. Okay. That's good. All right. Coming back. Segment two, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. Question from Florida Comer 08. It sounded like Jack Swarbrick was adamant that he was going to be patient for a search and identify the right candidate. I'm excited with the Freeman hire. But I'm curious if we think Swarbrick felt felt compelled by the groundswell of support for Freeman. How this plays out seems counter to the stage set on Tuesday. I think the stage was always just staged. How it was set on Tuesday, I talked about that when 
Pete, you mentioned how the, it wasn't a really a good look. I just feel like he got up there and it's much safer to say, I'm going to do an exhaustive search and I'm going to find the right person. The right person is much more important than this. When in reality, you're going to do whatever you can to find the right person as fast as you can. And in this case, they found the right person. I don't think the support of, like Tim mentioned, all outsiders had much to do with it. I think if Jack Swarbrick had 1A and 1B and all of a sudden he was like, huh, every single recruit and every single player and every single coach and every single person in the university wants Marcus Freeman to be the coach. Maybe he should be 1A. That could have happened. I, I can see that. Yeah, I, I think that what it all, it all helps, right? Um, but to me, the, the people that needed to be in Freeman's camp the most were more Jimmy Dunn, Jay Flaherty. Those are the people, and they were. Those were the people that advised Jack Swarbrick in this kind of a decision, and they liked Marcus Freeman to be the next head coach. So, you know, did the players matter? Yes. I think the players would have been heartbroken if you went in a different direction. Recruiting would have stumbled quite a bit. But, and, I, and that's, I have to say, like, the fact that Marcus Freeman had credit in the bank with the, peop, the name on building people at Notre Dame is really impressive in 11 months. I think that, that goes to the relationship part where we open the show with. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Pete. I, the, as excited as the fans are, the players are, the recruits are, the families are, the University of Notre Dame is very happy with the choice of Marcus Freeman. I mean, he's going to represent the university very well. And again, I want to point out, as we did last night, Luke Fickle would have been a tremendous representative of the University of Notre Dame. He's a very good coach. Um, and, and North, so Nordham had two outstanding choices and now we have a guy that's not been a head coach yet, but it's hard to imagine any greater support for a guy that has not been a head coach to be named the head coach of Nordham football team. It's, it's pretty amazing. And I agree. It's never like, it's never one thing, uh, in, in, in all topics and in all areas of life. I don't think that I think it was very difficult for Jack Swarbrick to ignore the, to use the word of Florida Comer 08, the groundswell, which was, which was bubbling up from everywhere inside and outside. And that's what's so, that's what's so awesome about this, that again, right at this moment, I can't picture Notre Dame football being more unified on all levels. Plus you portray patients in your press conference you get the hell to work immediately to get the most important thing done is to find out if Freeman is a possibility. If he really wants to leave, then you find out if Fickle's a possibility and you have to talk to Luke Fickle on Sunday. And if both of those things don't work out, then you portray more patients because you have to find somebody that yeah. you're not planning on of your first two. That's why you have to say at some point, we're going to find the right person. I'm not giving you a date. I don't have a time frame because who cares if he gives you a time frame? Like we get mad at him and that's over. It's over. like he's Jack Swarbrick. He care if somebody thinks he has a time frame. Yeah, I mean, we talked about you. Know, you you wanted to feel a sense of urgency, right? And maybe it was just like after a really long night, he wasn't going to give up. That's what the I, vibe no, of urgency. That's, that's exactly what I think. You know, I mean, I, but people on our message board is his shirt was was wrinkled. Yeah, I mean, it was like everything about him. I, I thought the guy was just absolutely exhausted. Yeah, and he had just found out for one hundred percent certainty that Brian Kelly wasn't going to be a head coach. And now he had the, he had the burden of the world resting on his shoulders. And so <laughs> I didn't, I didn't put, a, I just didn't put a lot into that. I didn't put in a lot to the specifics of what he said, because 
you you knew that the circumstances demanded that you act quickly. And not only did you act quickly with the guy that you want as your head coach, but you did it with all the other key people like Tommy Reese and Mike Elston. And that's incredible. That's there was, incredible. yeah. I mean, and there was certainly Tim, I mean, what, when was it that we thought, okay, this is going to work, but Elston's going to leave. Yeah. And then, well, and, last, and then last night it was still possible that he was going to leave. I don't know, it, the, the hours have all kind of yeah. run together since five o'clock on Monday morning. But um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I wasn't going to overreact to that because I know that, I, I, I mean, I understood the pressure and the situation and probably lack of uh, energy and sleep that he was under. Um, and I just anticipated he'd make a quick move. I did. I did. I think that it would come out as, as quote, perfectly as it appears right now. No. And that's why people can say what they want about Jack Swarbrick. There's people out there that don't like him. He's not personable at times, this and that, and this and that he is the greatest athletic administrator in Nordame history. And there's been some great ones, and I've known all of them since Moose Krause, but this guy gets it done, and he got this done as thoroughly as you could possibly expect him to. I think for the last part on this, before I read Hayden Adams' question, which is totally related to this, Jack Schwarberg, next time he holds a press conference where we need him to act quickly, should be like, time frame, uh, I'm really tired, I'm going to go get some lunch, <laughs> and I am going to call someone, and I'm not going to tell you guys about it until it's over, I'll see you later. That would be the way of handling these from now on, because he's one for one in his last two efforts. Yeah, did a great job. Question from Hayden Adams. Who is the most important coach to retain on the staff? I mean, it was Reese. Yeah. That's, yeah, that, and that is without question. Um, but I think you could make a really strong argument for Matt Bayless as well. Be- yes. Beyond that, I feel like Notre Dame was going to be okay, but maybe not like in a perfect game 18 parlay kind of way, which seems like they're going to turn out to be. Right, and then I think the natural next cherry on top, or maybe more important than that, maybe the whipped cream on the Sunday. <laughs> Mike Elston was pretty high. Sure. If he's below Reese for Reese's coordinating and Bayless for this actual integral nature to the program, Mike Elston's corner of the program is what number one in the last five years. Well, I mean, it, well, each year, each year, his te- his unit is either number one or number two on the team. I mean, think about the percentage of players on the team that are defensive linemen that come under his instruction, both currently on the team, those that have an option to come back, those that are coming in next year, those that have already committed to come in the, the year after that. I mean, he, he he's in charge. He, he impacts 30% of the team for crying out loud. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, it was significant. And, and, you know, McNulty was a Reese recommendation. So you knew he was going to stay. Mickens is a, you know, is directly tied to Freeman. Um, and so it was important. Bayless was, man, I, you know, I love talk about being proactive. I, Nordham got him locked up before any of these other things were set into pl- uh, yeah. set in stone. And, um, you know, again, love the video. Love the video. Next question is from King of Finney's 11. What's the next most important hire? Is it oil coach? Is it getting a veteran coach in the door at some position, which makes a lot of sense because it's a young staff, huh? Do you try to get an absolute dynamic recruiter at special teams? Uh, I would put stuff, special teams at the back of that list. I mean, I think it's wide receiver and offensive line. I, I, I you know, offensive line is probably the most important wide receivers, one a or one B, however you want to want to state it. But um yeah, offensive line, need a great coach, need a guy that yeah. they respect and love the way you 
you know, I know people are asking about Harry Heastan. I don't think that that's realistic. Um, Chris Watt, Chris Watt will be considered. Uh, he's very young, but they will take a look at at, at Chris Watt. Um, I, th- I think Tommy Reese would probably uh, be very interested in that. But, you know, and then special teams, I'm not saying special teams isn't important, but there, there, there are special teams coaches out there that are very good. The guy that was at, uh, the guy that was at Notre Dame that's now at Purdue, help me remember his name. Marty, uh, Marty Biaggi, yeah. Ma- yeah. Marty Biaggi would, would be, would, I think would walk back here to Notre Dame. Right. Right. But you know, I mean, I, there there are there are other options there. But that you know, O line, we we're talking about Elson. How many guys he influences? Well, the offensive line coach influences a big portion of the roster as well. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line, I think, is the the clear number one for the the volume of people that he impacts, and also, I mean, I don't want to diminish the the technical and tactical aspects of playing other positions, but I don't know if there's a more technical and tactical position than offensive line. Like I, I always felt like with he stand, I didn't give a crap about how good of a recruiter he was. I wanted that's the position where that I want to skew most toward. Give me the best teacher. I don't care about recruiting. There are a lot of other positions where I want more of a recruiter than I would maybe a position coach, like the sliding scale, so to speak. But yeah, offensive line, that's that's number one most important to me. Yeah, I, I, I love this question because there's layers to it. I, I agree. I think offensive line coach, a technically sound offensive line coach that the players believe in them. I mean, they love Jeff Quinn too, but a technically sound offensive line coach that really knows his stuff, young or old, is crucial, number one. But getting a veteran coach in here at some position and I think of the late Bob Elliott and how if you have this staff and let's say you hire Nick Lazinski and let's say you bring in Chris Watt and let's say your wide receiver coach isn't Dell Alexander, or even if it is, but if you bring in another wide receiver coach somewhere along the line, you need a late, a guy like Bob Elliott to come in and be on this staff. Like you can't have no voice of reason from the past or, or from experience, no voice of reason from experience. Right. It doesn't have, doesn't mean Chris Watt shouldn't be the offensive line coach. Cause I'm not sure your, your offensive line coach. It's a veteran coach has that giant impact outside of his room either. Like it's kind of hard for the offensive line coach to come in and be the advisor to Marcus Freeman. Right. But doesn't he need someone, someone that has the experience of like, ah, coach, you might want to look into a different, tactic here don't handle this like that just just somebody that can handle that part of the of the coaching staff yeah i i, I would imagine i mean i i don't Peter. I, I i agree the essence of what you're saying that you need a great offensive line coach and you don't care about recruiting but the guy can be a better recruiter than harry he stand i mean come right. on he did he, he he had disdain for it and i'm not saying like it needs to be a hundred to zero i got but like you know, for a lot of other positions, I'd, if you said it was 66% recruiting and 34% coaching, I'd be like, great, not, but not offensive line. No, I agree with you. And I, I, I think I saw somewhere where it said, you know, now let's get, you know, 10 great assistants that are all great recruiters. You don't know. It doesn't necessarily. I mean, yeah. They, let's, okay. Let's get the best person at every position in the country. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's just not realistic. I, but I, I, you know, I, I, in essence of what you're saying, I do, I believe that's cr- true. I think they could be better, better recruiters than there than Harry Heastan. Chris Watt, inexperienced, young players gravitated to him, respected him right out of the gate, uh, and that's important. But there's some other options there. I don't want to throw around names right now um, because it's just I think it's just shooting in the dark. 
right at this moment. This is all still, still just kind of unfolding right wouldn't, now. Wouldn't you guys agree? Like it would be awesome if Chris Watt was finishing his fifth year as an offensive line coach. Yeah. Yes. But Hell, I, I would. I, I mean, if you told me three, I would. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that on, on a team that won more games. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. you know that that too, that too. And he I'm sure he was his third year leaving Georgia. You'd be like, this is probably better than his first year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we'll uh, obviously the next thing on our agenda at Irish Illustrated is is vetting out um, you know who exactly uh, who exactly are candidates for these positions. We're going to skip that one. We're going to Irish Red. Two three three three. If Cincinnati were not in line for a playoff spot, would this have worked out differently? It could have. Um, definitely could have. I. I mean, I agree with what you said earlier about like Fickle would have been a very popular choice with like people higher up at Notre sure. Dame. Um, but I think one of the reasons he's a popular choice is he was unavailable right now. You wanted somebody who wasn't going to walk out on their team. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's I this last week, I hope no Notre Dame fans come away from thinking this week, thinking like, you know what? This was all meant to be like, boom, 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 totally on like. It was inevitable. This was a incredibly high wire act on the part of Notre Dame and the coaches that they were dealing with. Uh, so it, I, so, yeah, it, it, this could have gone a million different directions than it actually did. I think that's always the case. Yeah. I think most hires could have gone in many different directions and the direction they went in is what happened. I mean, there's, there's gotta be so many threads pulling at it. So it's a great question to say if Luke Fickle was 11 and one, and he just got upset. Well, let's, let's say they just lost to Auburn as opposed to whoever the heck they just played in that conference SMU, you know? Yeah. I mean, you probably don't have a coach right now because you, you would interview Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese first. You would find out what their wants and, quote unquote demands are and they didn't say that's great we're going to talk to you in the next 24 hours because tomorrow we have another candidate to talk to and that would be Luke Fickle right yeah and well, that's logical. Of... of course you would do that of course yeah. you would be Luke Fickle if you had another option to and then you weigh your you weigh your debate right there to, to to pull it off in 24 hours and I realize that you know I mean what they pulled off was basically they kept everybody in house which you know I mean on the surface okay well that's not that hard to just keep everybody in house but um, you know, there was the threat of LSU money and Tommy Reese had a, a, a decision to make there. And, and Pete, I agree with you. I, they, I mean, they stepped, Notre Dame stepped up big time. Um, you know, let's face it. When we're, when you're talking about coordinator money compared to head coaching money, we're talking about a few hundred thousand compared to a few million. Compared to some houses being purchased for you and buying yeah. homes and selling them for you and you're right. Boat. Plane. Right, exactly. So, I mean, when you're talking about a few hundred thousand for a coordinator, and I, you know, who who's always the first to say, "Yeah, I'm." You guys you are really are. good at spending other people's money, <laughs> but in the grand scheme of it, you know what I'm saying. In the grand <clears throat> scheme of it, those are nickels and dimes in the in the in the big picture of what we're looking at here. And Tommy Reese is worth it. I will reiterate again: Tommy Reese is in the process of becoming a tremendous play caller. And if you don't see that, you need to study football more or talk less and listen more. 
Yes, he's absolutely worth it, but I will go to your point, Tim. He did not turn down Brian Kelly money. He turned down coordinator money. That's the way things work. So while, while we're all piling on people that might go pro early or that leave, remember, that's a different level of money. G, G Weave 5. Next year, do you think Marcus Freeman will still call the defensive place or will the new defensive coordinator? Uh, well, I, 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 do you have an insight on that, Pete, at all? I don't. Um, I mean, I think it's – I don't know where he goes with the – is the coordinator Elston? Is the coordinator yeah, don't, Mickens? I don't know. We don't know that yet. I don't – it can't be Mickens solo, can it? You know, do you do do you do a co-coordinator? I do. I, that was part of my story yesterday. I thought of Elston okay. Mickens. I mean, you can elevate Mickens to that spot, and it <clears> probably pushes him out the door a little bit sooner. But um, that's probably uh, the direction they would go. I I, I would anticipate. But um, you know, calling the defense. This is what I've always been an advocate of, and I was when Tommy Reese became the offensive coordinator. You're the head coach. <laughs> you're on the headset with them. And if you want to, you know, you don't want to just overrule them here and there and throughout a game, but you're the head coach. You do, you direct the decision-making on game day. And again, you try to do 95% of that during the week in, in preparation, but I don't have any problem with, I don't think that, I don't think the head coach slash CEO of Nording football can be calling every play defensively. Can you oversee it? Absolutely. And I want him to. Right. Yeah. It's like you can direct, hey, we got we got these style, we got nickel, we got dollar, we got three man front, we got four man front. Like, I want to play this style. I want to be right. more or, aggressive here. Right. Or this play, I want you to do this. I don't I don't think yeah. there's anything wrong with that, especially as you know, I mean, if it's Mike Elston as as veteran of a coach as he is, you're not accustomed to doing that. So I don't think you're not stepping on anybody's toes or or trying to flex your muscles as a head coach. You're trying to create a, a, a teamwork with an inexperienced defensive coordinator, play caller. Next from Victory Gin, which we had, there was a victory something else last night, right, Priester and Samson, not Gin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can Tommy Reese take the offense to new heights with the BK shackles removed? Pete, I'm, I want you to answer that. For, I want you to answer that first, and maybe you'll understand that when I answer it second. Um, yeah. Yes, but I think that the reason that he can take the offense to new heights without BK's shackles is that he will have a head coach who's going to back him every step of the way in recruiting. And so the material in the offense will be better. Um, that's how you get better on offense. You have better players. Um, but I don't, I don't. I didn't see Brian Kelly as a damper on Notre Dame offensively. Maybe, maybe in the way like maybe Reese will be more inclined to run up the score on somebody um, than Kelly was. That's possible. But um, I don't think Reese had this like call sheet in his back pocket that he was afraid to bring out because Brian Kelly didn't want him to use it. That's the part, what you just finished with. That's what I believe. I don't okay. think that Tommy Reese was shackled by Brian Kelly. Was he? Leading up to his first year as a coordinator, was he in his first month of coordinating the previous year and making calls? Again, it ties in with what I said about Reese. Hell, you want Brian Kelly to, to have strong input in critical situations. But by the end of this regular season, I don't see any evidence of Tommy Reese being shackled other than 
running up the score, you know, something along those lines. I'm sure Tommy Reese wanted to push the ball midway through the Virginia game, you know, to make it 35 to, to, to three. Is that what it was? 23. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't see any visible evidence of, of shackles on Tommy Reese, especially in the second half of the 2021 regular season. Yeah. Foot on the gas is an interesting one. You know, I think Brian Kelly secured so many wins in his career with the method that he used to secure victories that he quite often would look at a game and see a 21, three lead and think there is no way we lose this game. If I punt three times from my own 45 yard line. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. And that's maybe maybe that's not the way to do it now because offenses can strike so fast and all that, but it's not like they're out there blowing a ton of leads and losing games either. I think people, people were mad at teams scoring at the end to get within 20. I mean, okay. Brian Kelly did definitely not, did not have time for your angst because Stanford would have gotten to within 38, 20. This time is different. He had to, but normally like, what does he care? He just didn't care if it was 38-13 or 38-19, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I, I think this especially came into play with the Virginia game because the team was sick. It was night. Yeah. They're on the road. They've been playing how many weeks in a row, how many weeks this season. And I and I was outspoken about, come on, man. You got to yeah. I mean, that, – that's a 42-3 to game, and you're walking out of there 28-3, to and the committee's now going to sit down. And we already know Gary Bart said that they may not be watching every game – every play of every game. So yeah, but from a coach's perspective, the circumstances with Virginia and, and the illness, I mean, the illness was significant along with the injuries. I get, I get that, but shackles on Tommy Reese, where's the evidence of shackles on Tommy Reese's play calling? I think Pete, yeah, he'll have more autonomy. Like I think the way, the best way to describe this is Tommy Reese will have more autonomy with the offense now than he did before. And that is incredibly appealing to him on a personal right. And those and those level. decisions are made a lot of most of the hard decisions are made during the week when you're formulating game plan. Now, sure, you're under the gun, you're in a game, millions are watching, the crowd's going crazy, and you have to make play calls. But I really do not, I really do not think that Brian Kelly was shackling Tommy Reese as the play caller this year. No, I think, and Pete, I want to just to put a bow on this one, Pete, you said it at first, I think if you have more dynamic pieces, your play calling becomes more inspired. Right. Yep. They, look, That's a good point. Brian Kelly did the right thing when he has three tight ends and he has to use three tight ends to win a game because they didn't have five wide receivers that could win a game. Name the last time they had five wide yeah, receivers. You can't just, you can't just wish it into yeah, being. You can't just say, oh, he's fast. Well, let's just, why isn't Xavier right. Watt scoring five? And you got, you've got to play. You, you, oh. and, and you can't you can't just bitch and moan about, oh, well, they didn't recruit well enough. You're in a game. It's game time. You have to make decisions, and you just can't wish it into being if you don't have the pieces to do that. Question from Coast Domer. How far behind a place like LSU is Notre Dame in terms of facilities? staffing and salaries assuming it is some combination of these factors that cause kelly to leave those factors are going to affect the next staff as well so how should the university address them build out that second part of the goog uh i I do think notre dame is behind in facilities like i and i don't have this is so matt fortuna is a colleague of mine at the athletic and he's more of a national he's he goes he's seen all these other facilities like we have it we have not seen Um, yeah and he insists, not just with his own eyes, but talking to athletic administrators, that Notre Dame is, in fact, pretty far behind. Um, not far behind, like, bottom of the Big Ten, but, you know, Purdue has more impressive facilities. Uh, you know, what Wake Forest is about to have come online will be impressive. You know, but I, 
it gets back to like facilities are important and some teams at the top of the heap use that against Notre Dame. But I, I am in alignment with Brian Kelly on this one. Like it's not the glamor of the facilities. It's the functionality. The fact that Notre Dame is wheeling in their training table meals on carts and serving it in a recruiting lounge and a foyer is not good. Like Notre Dame should have a dedicated training table, mental performance recovery space for the football program in that building right now. They don't, um, I mean, academic space, you have players just sort of sitting in the hallways studying because the meeting rooms are not set up for that. Um, there's a lot more they can do there to get caught up and not in a Clemson slide putt, putt golf kind of way in a functional, how do we maximize the experience of these, these players here? It's interesting because I think there'll always be pushback on that. No, there is. There's 100%. There's been well, pushback. That's, 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 that's Notre that. Dame, man. Part I mean, of it, that won't, that will never change completely. tale as old as time. Yeah. It, yeah. it will never change completely. No, but, no, it won't. You know, I mean, you're, you're right. It will never be Clemson. But a few years ago, Clemson was probably saying, damn, well, you know, our facilities behind – yeah, facilities um, lose their functionality. That's the that's the best word for it, as you used. Uh, but there is there's a plan. There's an eighty million dollar plan. I mean, we've been saying this now for the last few days. Uh, when it's executed, well, I'm sure there's a million moving parts to go with that. So I don't, you know, I don't know what the timetable is, but it's coming. And the functionality is, you know, I mean, the things that we're talking about here, they're not unreasonable. No. Things, and, and and the function of them is the most important thing. And we've seen what the eating situation is like there. And they probably should have had more foresight when they built the Goog. But when did the Goog open? Oh five was Weiss's first year. I mean, it, you know, it's open. a it's it's a long time ago now. Yeah. So you you need you need a, a a thorough freshening of the facility, and they are going to do that. Are they behind? Yeah. Are they behind in salary? Not mm. nearly as much as they yeah. used to, but I think not nearly as much as they used to be. But Notre Dame is probably always, they're not always going to pay top dollar. If if you if you have a problem with that, that's Notre Dame, man. We've always known that. They're not going to be at the forefront of throwing billions around like the SEC. That's part of Notre Dame. That's part of the what makes Notre Dame Notre Dame. I've been invited and you guys have as well to two meals up there. And I thought they tasted pretty good and were pretty easy to get through the buffet line. So I don't know what people are complaining about. It's kind of strange to me, but whatever. <laughs> Elm city Domer, if healthy and if Notre Dame makes it to the playoffs, does Kyle Hamilton play for Marcus Freeman or preserve his health for the draft? I think he's already, I mean, I think it's already kind of been indicated that he would play right. If he were healthy. It's yeah. I don't know. It's like, I'm, I'm hesitant to even speculate on this one. It's, the dynamics with Freeman are, I mean, significant, right? But like yeah. the dynamics with multi-generational wealth are also real yes. and significant. Kyle Hamilton and, should do what he needs to do. And, yeah. And that's that. Yeah. I just like, I don't want people to come away from this podcast thinking that our impression is like, well, now that Freeman is the coach, Kyle Hamilton is more likely to play. No, I, I, I don't saying, think that's true. I agree I with you. true that playoff was very important either way whether it's Marcus Freeman or Brian Kelly and if, if he's healthy totally healthy and it's a playoff I think you give it a go and if you're totally healthy and it's not a playoff generational yeah. wealth comes into consideration Kyle, yeah Kyle Hamilton's mindset on this is completely different than any other player's decision so that therefore yeah. right so therefore 
you know, I, I don't think this isn't a, okay, Freeman's head coach. I, okay. I'm going to play now. It, it, it can't change his mindset on this because it was coming from a completely different angle from anything that we're talking about with anybody else. Produce we seven. There we go. Produce seven. I'm really excited that Marcus Freeman is the head coach. All right. That's all we need. I think he is going to do great <laughs> things. However, every coach has flaws. What do you think is Freeman's greatest weakness? I mean, the, the only the only one that I'm trying to think of something else jumps out other than just the inexperience of being a head coach, which is really, really significant. But I don't help me out. Is there something else that really jumps yeah, out about? I, I mean, because, I have one that you guys touched on a little bit. Um, well, he calls own plays. It, I always found it interesting. Like Marcus Freeman obviously got to where he is because he's a dynamic teacher of defense scheme and game calling, game planning, and calling plays. You lose the element of one of those things if he's not calling your plays defensively. So one of his weaknesses in 2021 might be Notre Dame doesn't have Marcus Freeman calling plays defensively. It might not be a week. It's kind of like the interview where you go in and say, my greatest weakness is that I care too much. I, I think the weakness might be they don't have their head coach doing what he could be doing if he was a defensive coordinator. Because it's like when Charlie Weiss wasn't going to call plays. I'm like, so why? Why is he that good? We just say that you do here. Yeah, yeah off, offense and defense do? is a little bit different. But that's a good, that's a good, I think that's a really good point. I, you know, I think. I, I think two things you want the way to stem that is for your defensive coordinator to be an extension of Marcus Freeman. Now yeah. getting to that point right. we, we, <laughs> may take some time. The other adjustment is, you know, when we see him on a sideline now, he coaches with hands on his knees, right. As he's, he's the head coach, man, you got to stand up right now. <laughs> you gotta, wow. You're going to have to, you're going to have to, you're going to have to change your demeanor on the sideline. You're the head coach. I, don't, I just thought I, of all the things I thought about last night that came to my head, like that's amazing. Yeah, I know. I, huh, he's going to have to carry himself differently on the sideline as opposed to maybe not. I don't know. If no, still- I think not. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't but, I mean, ball I, to the ground. Right, what, what head, okay, <laughs> name another head coach that coaches, and I understand Urban. why he's doing it. He's dialing in. Urban. Urban de- yeah, Urban, you're right. Is he still doing yeah. it in the NFL? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter anymore. He doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> I would I was just say, like, this is, you know, Priester, you you say this like when you were the head coach at Marion for baseball. <laughs> It's different when the W or the L goes next to your name. And like, that's a, that's a different kind of pressure. It's a different kind of reward. It's a different kind of like uh, setback. So how, how he handles that, I, I wouldn't say it's a weakness. I just say it's an unknown. Yeah, it yeah. is. And that's another one. Here we go. Brian Kelly at a press conference the first couple of times, as opposed to what he ended up being like, coach, what's wrong with your defense to Marcus Freeman? How do you think he responds to that one? When somebody from a certain call-in show that we get on zoom. <laughs> right. Yeah. We've never, defense. we've never seen the saltier side of, of, Brian uh, Kelly of Marcus very Freeman. good at handling it over the years. No, he did. And that's, yeah. that's hard, man. That, yes, that's hard. Yes. I don't handle uh, it well when the questions are asked like that in the press conference. For right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just sitting there. You don't even have yeah. to answer it. Yeah, no, Delicate I get it. Those are offended all the time. I get it. But, the, but, but they, but you get to the point and, and I think this is largely true of, of the Kelly Reese dynamic, you, you get to the point where, okay, 
the offensive coordinator is now an extension of me and, 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 or, or our preparation during the week, certainly. And so that's where you need to get with your defensive coordinator. And if it's Mike Elston, a guy that's never called the plays one, you know, or the alignments, it's not plays offense is plays defenses is alignments and and set up. But, um, you know, I, I, but are there any other glaring weaknesses within the personality that we can see and the way he deals with people? And those aren't evident. So um, all the stuff to learn, right? Just so many. Things yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, one of us like Tommy Reese isn't going to be here forever. What do you, what do you want to run on offense when it's, no, just, it's very true. Tommy, to Reese, decide, is, Tommy right? Reese is going to be a head coach probably sooner rather than later. The only yeah, thing like he'll three years at LSU. You think that's where he's going? At age 33, he's at he's LSU as the head coach. All right, we're going to wrap up with a question from Kyle O'Shea. Who's the you, next? What? Tim, what I, you want, got? I, want you, I want to give you a moment because I have breaking news, okay? Okay. You guys agree? I want to give Priester 10 seconds on the topic. Chris Vanini from The Athletic. Colorado State head coach Steve Adazio is out. The Athletic has learned. You have 10 seconds to entertain the masses. Good, good luck, Steve Adazio. How's that? <laughs> Uh, good good luck with your next job, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Has he Maybe coached offensive line before? I'm just saying. Has he been an offensive line coach? Isn't that in his background? Yes. Or they might have an opening. It definitely is. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's the route to go. <laughs> just for the for the sanity of everybody that he would come in contact. With. Guys being dudes. <laughs> All right. Wrapping up with Kyle O'Shea. Who is the next coach after? Marcus Freeman retires. <laughs> uh, one, I have no idea, but I did want to make time stamp what Marcus Freeman was doing when Brian Kelly was hired at Notre Dame. And he had just taken a GA position at Ohio state after retiring from the NFL. Um, so pretty much impossible to say, I did, I don't know who posted this on Twitter last night, but Marcus Freeman is the first head coach to actually have had a rivals profile. Um, so oh, really? we're, we're a long way away from that. Well, I've always said, I've always said, damn, you know, Brian Kelly is the first Notre Dame head coach younger than me. Well, there's yeah, a significant. I'm, I'm in your club now. There's a significant gap. Yes. There's a gap now that I never even imagined would, would occur. All right, I'm going to take a shot uh, going by Pete's guideline. It's going to be an offensive coach because you always get rid of your defensive coach for an offensive coach. And it looks like an offensive GA at Ohio State is Keenan Bailey. Keenan Bailey oh. is the next coach at Notre Dame, according to Pete Sampson's um, streak here. Or, or, uh, this is how it goes down, right? Marcus Freeman. Well, Keenan, right, yeah, well, Keenan Bailey is a, is a named, popular choice to be hired for this staff right now among a lot of fans. I named so. Keenan Bailey because it's just as right as anything else anybody else could say to answer this question. <laughs> you're, yes. you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right there. Well, um, so we do not expect a Nording press conference today or tomorrow. I don't know. Does this – I mean, certainly there will be some type of gathering on Sunday, uh, so I don't know if that coincides with a Marcus Freeman – announcement press conference or, or what we'll uh, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to stay ahead of the news here as much as we can, but it's happening pretty fast and furious for, for Notre Dame and everybody throughout college football. But certainly on Sunday, we'll find out where Notre Dame's bowl destination is. And at that point, I would imagine we would have a conversation with the, uh, the new head football coach at university of Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman. We appreciate you joining us for Irish illustrated insider. Um, 
at the latest, the next time we will have a podcast will be on, uh, on Monday. So thanks for joining us. Irish Illustrated Insider, Priester O'Malley Sampson. Looking for a gift for the Notre Dame fan on your holiday shopping list? Help them commemorate their first Notre Dame game or loyalty to the Fighting Irish with the Notre Dame Football Heritage Project Certificate. Your donation, $5 minimum, will help the Araparsegian Medical Research Fund and the Notre Dame Gallivan Journalism Program. Visit ndcertificate.com to learn more.